0: Welcome to Maximal Being, a GI doc and
1: ICU nurse that break down the science so you can exceed your gut health, nutrition and fitness goals. So, let's smash the bro science and optimizing your health with your hosts, Doc Mock and RN Graham.
0: What's going on, Maximal Beings? This is Doc Mock here, and I'm uh, here on this podcast number three with Sharif UltraFit and RM Graham. We're down in Miami, Florida. Today, we're going to be talking about something that everybody has to do, and six out of 10 Americans are not doing well or doing enough of. It's central to your fitness, your nutrition, your gut health goals, everything in life. That's right. We're talking about sleep. And I think, uh, you know, for those of you that are watching this live, and Graham might be doing it now. Um, so we're going to go around and just introduce who we are and why you want to listen to us. I'm Doc Mach. I'm a advanced endoscopist, which is a GI doctor that uh, specializes in cancer, nutrition, and gut health. And Aaron uh, Graham's also here, I think.
2: <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Sorry. I was trying to take a little nap there. All right. Hello, maximum beings. Um, I am and Graham. I am a ICU nurse down here in South Florida. Um, I work currently on the COVID units and in the regular ICUs. Um, and let's hand over to the Sharif Ultrafit.
1: What's up, Maximal Beings? Um, my name is Sharif Abdul latif I am a Master Trainer with the National Academy of Sports Medicine and part of the Maximal Being team right now. So, happy to be here. Thanks for having me again. I'm excited for this topic
0: so so guys so you know sleep it's it's central to everything I think there are a lot of people that are out there they're working on their nutrition they eat clean they they're hitting their fitness goals but then maybe they'll see a trough or they'll see a drop in their performance and so often at least as, as a doctor and as somebody that you know creates customized plans for people, I counsel them in, in their sleep hygiene. And I will tell you the percentage of people, the overall national numbers are six out of 10 people have some sort of sleep problem, either they're not getting enough or um, they're you know they're having interruptions in their sleep or not doing something well. And I think our point today is we're gonna go through ways to improve upon that. But before we do that, let's understand what sleep is. So sleep is a restorative process. Your body, it's broken down into really two different components. There's non-REM or rapid eye movement sleep and REM sleep or rapid eye movement sleep. Within the non-REM sleep, there are three different stages. The first stage is where you're able to still respond and you may feel sudden jerks or movements and and you can easily awaken from stage one. Stage two is where you start to relax, your muscles will calm down. And then finally of the non-REMs, there's stage three. And that's where your blood pressure, your heart rate drop. Sometimes your pulse ox will drop a little bit as will your body core temperature. And this is really the key restorative portion of sleep. On the other end, there's REM or rapid eye movement sleep. Everything's relaxed except for your eyes will move and pulse. And this is where your vivid dreams occur. And so that part of sleep is just vital to processing psychological aspects um, to your day to day. So with that said, how have you guys been sleeping recently, Aaron Graham?
2: Uh, I don't know what sleep is. (laughs) You know, unlike most people, um, I work night shifts, and that really does mess with your sleep cycle a lot. Um, So I sleep during the day. Uh, The room has to be completely dark. You know, it needs to simulate basically what nighttime sleep would be. Um, But I have learned to Utilize the ability to get as much sleep as I possibly can. Working night shift. Sharif.
1: Sharif Yeah, yeah, man. It's um, it's a huge part of um, building a healthy body, um, heart, brain. Like you said, it's um, it's a very important process for your brain to reset and regenerate and just perform better the next day and more optimal. Um, so me personally, I've been getting my good sleep in. Yes. I make sure I get my uh, seven and a half hours in every night. Um I make sure to take a good 90-minute nap in the middle
0: of the day. So I'm good. I love sleep. Yeah, I he think does. yeah, he's he's got it all right, folks. You know, I think in the healthcare industry it's it's almost valued to deprive yourself of sleep, right? It's like When I was a resident and a fellow, it's cool that you did a 36-hour shift. Um, You know, you brag about it to your friends, but like, what is the damage that you're doing to your body? As yeah, as an attending, I I can tell you that, um, you know, I had never had problems with sleep. That's like a real doctor, is what attending means. Um, You know, not a doctor in training. But I, I started to notice that I was developing problems with sleeping. You know, it wasn't that I was necessarily not getting enough but i wake up in the middle of the night and and start thinking about my patients or thinking about the cases for the night then that, the next day so that's when i really started to research you know sleep hygiene and ways to correct um sleep guys what do you what do you think is the right amount of sleep in a day or is there a right amount
2: uh, there definitely is a right amount um and it's different based on age range um so for the average adult um, it should be between, I believe it's six to eight hours of sleep is what uh, the average adult should be getting. Correct me if I'm wrong with that.
0: Correct. And and so. How long sh- yeah,
1: go ahead. I feel like the eight-hour thing is um is a myth, right? Because if sleep goes in ninety-minute cycles, even if you do the math, you can't even get to eight hours, right? So either seven and a half or a little over eight. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like that's an old research that they did back in the day before, you know, it was done, I believe like 30, 40 years ago, things are way different now, people work more often. Um, so that that eight hour, cause everybody thinks eight hours, eight hours, eight hours. And it's actually, if you do the 90 minute cycles, eight hours wakes you up in the middle of the cycle. So, which kind of messes you up even more, right?
2: Actually so you gotta take that extra,
1: that. huh?
2: No, funny that you say that, because if you really look at at how sleep developed and how we're supposed to sleep, naturally, we're supposed to sleep when the sun goes down. So before, we used to go to sleep a lot earlier. Then we would sleep for several hours. Then we'd wake up in the middle of the night. We would do whatever we needed to do, whether it was prepping for the next day, whether it was studying, whether it was reading, whether it was... Other things, um, and then we would go back to sleep and wake up in the morning. Like we would honestly wake up in the middle of the night, have a second sleep cycle, and then we would go back to sleep. That's how it originally was before the the you know the advance in technology that is a light. Before light, before you know light bulbs and all that, we used to sleep early. Sun went down, turn out the candle, go to sleep. Meet, wake up, do whatever needs to be done in the middle of the night, go back to sleep, wake up in the morning, and then repeat.
0: Yeah, I think uh, people perseverate so much on numbers and figures, and yes, it's ideal to get uh, four to six cycles during the course of the night, and what that averages out to is around six to nine hours, actually. But um, the number is not as important as the quality is and as actually doing it. And like we said, about six out of every 10 Americans are not even reaching that six hour level. I think a lot of the developments that have occurred distract us before sleep. And this is a big component to sleep hygiene, which we'll get into a little bit. But um, why do we sleep? I mean, what, what, is, what is the importance of it scientifically?
1: So you want your body to recover, right? You want your muscles to rejuvenate. You want your brain to um, refresh. It's it's basically like restarting a computer every now and then, right? Um, where you're, like, your brain transforms some of your like short-term memories into long-term memories. Um, your muscles have nothing else to worry about other than recovering, right? Because you're not carrying your own weight. You're not performing any activities, even just as small as walk into your kitchen. So I feel like sleep is very imperative for a healthy body and mindset. I
2: agree 100%. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it, it actually um, regarding your muscles, the, the time when you replete your glycogen, right? Glycogen is the energy that your muscles fire on. And you can turn fat into glycogen for the keto folks out there. But if you're on a a regular sort of diet where you're incorporating enough carbohydrates, those carbohydrates are turned into glycogen, which are stored in your muscles, and your muscles fuel that uh, as energy. So if you don't sleep, you may notice the next day that you're dogging it at the gym because you haven't properly refueled and restored your muscles. Yes. Also for muscle growth, Growth hormone, right, mom mom always used to say like, you need to go to sleep so that you can grow up big and strong. Well, she was like right on. I mean, so so your growth hormone levels go up during sleep and they're inversely related to a stress hormone that's released when you don't sleep called cortisol. So the less sleep you get, the more cortisol you make that suppresses growth hormone and vice versa. So you actually you you grow more muscles during the sleeping period through growth hormone. So there is physiology. Sleeping a lot. <laughs> there you go. Case in point. That, that was a flex for all of you that are you know listening at all. Um, what about you know the sense of 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 um, neurologic recovery? So how does that actually happen in the brain or psychological recovery too?
2: Uh, through sleep, so you'd probably be better a, a, akin at this than I am. But thanks, you know, go ahead and take this one because I, the science behind the, the neurological part of it is is a little bit complex even for me. So, yeah,
0: it, I mean, it is very complicated. So you know, while you're going through your day, your body is generating kind of like you know, recycling components, right? So you're you're eating the lettuce that's in the package, but you still have the package to deal with. So you're generating these things called tangles. The tangles will kind of build up in your brain almost like a sludge during the course of the day. And what sleeping does is it takes those tangles and it kind of unfolds them, makes them to a way that they can cross out of your brain and can be properly removed from the rest of your body buildup of those tangles over time leads to what sort of chronic neurologic condition?
2: Alzheimer's.
0: Alzheimer's. Yeah, and so um, there is a great body of evidence that correlates a lack of sleep with an increased risk of Alzheimer's over time. So sleep to, to save your brain. And then Sharif, you also pointed to neurologic recovery, right? So we talked about REM sleep was the time at which your body is able to deal with these vivid memories and process it through a part of your brain called the hippocampus. And there's also a tie between that and your cortisol levels. What about coffee? I mean, you know, I feel awake when I drink coffee. I can't function in the morning without a little bit of coffee. Um, what is drinking coffee good for your sleep hygiene or bad?
2: It's definitely bad. And,
0: definitely and, bad. Yeah and 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 why? I mean, what is it what does it do?
2: Well, caffeine basically whether it be coffee, whether it be energy drinks, what caffeine does is it basically tricks your mind into thinking you're no longer tired. But that's actually the exact opposite. You're still tired. It's just um caffeine believe blocks like the melatonin receptors. So because of that it's you know tricking you into thinking, okay, well, I have enough sleep, I have enough to push through, I'm gonna keep going, but it's actually the exact opposite.
1: Yeah, absolutely. it's not just the caffeine, right? It's the light. Uh, you know, there's so many factors that go into it. Um, people that watch TV before they go to bed, all the blue light and your tablet, your phone, so yeah, much,
0: right? Yeah, you guys, you guys hit on an interesting point there called blue light. So, you know, what what is blue light? What makes blue light? How can we get rid of blue light? Do we need to get rid of blue light?
2: Definitely get rid of blue light. Uh, blue light is from electronics, basically. Um, so, if you're a person that sleeps with the TV on, what you're doing is it's radiating blue light, um, and it's tricking you. To, it's tricking your body into thinking that it's still light outside. So. Um, that's why, number one, I always feel like you should not have a TV in your room, in your bedroom, um, even though right now I, I, I didn't have one, but you should. <laughs> um, also, electronics, um, you really should have an unwind period before you go to sleep where you put the electronics down um, a few hours before, so that way your body knows, listen, it's it's bedtime. There's no bright lights. There's no blue lights. It's time to wind down
0: yeah and it also depends on what's going on on your device too right if you're just if you have it on the side and you're listening to meditation music versus you're playing candy crush and getting to that next level i mean the blue light is going to be the same but but the way that it deals with your psychology is different So It's not only the light, but you're keeping your
1: brain active, whatever it is, whether you're reading a paper or playing a game, you're keeping that brain active, it's moving around, right? So you you still need that wind down period after. That's why after you put your tablet down, whatever, it takes you another 45 minutes to to fall asleep.
0: Yeah, so how do you counsel your, your clients as part of their recovery program You know and and their strength training with with the sleep you know
1: um i definitely recommend my clients to get there's four to five of those cycles every night um i don't know if everybody listens or not i even like push a nap right after the workout it's actually it's proven like a lot of bodybuilders take a nap after their gym session immediately just for that muscle recovery so i definitely promote that um I advise them, I repeat it over and over and over, whether they follow up with it or not. Very few do, I'm not gonna lie, because everybody wants to do whatever they want. Um, but the ones that do change, the ones that do follow um, the proper way to do it, actually you see results, They you feel better? And if you do it consistently enough, you end up, you get to a point where you don't even need an alarm to get up, your body just, is automatically used to it. You finish your cycles and you're up on your own. So if done, right. But you got to go to bed at the same time in order for you to get up at the same time every day. So much that goes into it. Um, no distraction, no lights, all that good stuff. Yeah, for those so, of you sir, that
2: you brought up the whole, you know, you still wake up at the same time thing um you know that has to do with the whole circadian rhythm thing and that's another interesting our body there shaver yep hello no, no. okay cool um uh, you know that's another very interesting thing because what happens with that is when we sleep we do get to a point where our body says it's time to wake up that's whether you get your full 6 to 8 hours of sleep or not your body gets to a point where it says all right, it's time to wake up. So even if you're tired, your body's not gonna say, okay, I'm gonna sleep longer. That's not what it does. It says, no, it's time to wake up. So you still wake up no matter what.
0: Yeah, I I've, I personally, when I was having my sleep difficulties, it was the blue light that was really the, the common issue. And for those of you listening at home, every phone now has a setting called nighttime where you basically just flip a button and you may notice that the, that it has kind of an orangey color your screen will after that it's not that it's doing something weird to your screen it's filtering out the blue light and by definition the two opposite forms of light that your your cones in your in your eyes will will recognize are are blue and orange and so when you get rid of the blue things will naturally seem a little more orange which tends to be um, the light that doesn't send signals to your pineal gland in your brain to re, to, to not release melatonin um, what about temperature? Do you guys sleep? You know, it's Florida, so it's hot down there. I mean, are you running the AC all the time? Or are you keeping it hot in your room? What about temperature? Absolutely. It's got to be
1: cold. It's got to be freezing. 69 at least. Mm-hmm. All right, <laughs> yeah, Graham, I mean, same thing?
2: Same thing. Um, I keep the air conditioning on, I keep the fan going. Um, you know, I it has to be cold, especially during the day. Everything I can do to. Make it feel comfortable is what I do. Because like I said before, I sleep during the day. You know, that's the caveats of night shift. Um, So I'm talking about, it's probably to the point where you can hang meat. That's how cold it is.
0: Yeah, and 60 to 65 degrees is the ideal temperature to to be in sleep. And that's because your body has less of a difficult time getting to stage three, where your internal body temperature will drop, right? So your body just has to exert less effort to adapt to that period. Now, it was just a holiday this past weekend. People were probably drinking a little bit more. Um, A lot of people have a nightcap, right? To improve their sleep during the rest of the the week. Is that the best way to fall asleep, is the nightcap? No. Yeah, and why is that?
1: Yeah. Well, your body has to worry about like flushing all that alcohol out of your system on top of what it has to do normally while you're sleeping, right? So you're giving your body an extra test to perform that it's not supposed to perform. I mean, it'll do it because that's what the body's built for, right? But you're taking away time from your other sleeping periods, whether it's the non-REMS or the REMS, in order for your body to flush that alcohol or clean out your liver you know, stuff like that. You're making the so, body work extra
2: hard. So alcohol is a sedative. So yes, it may help you fall asleep, but it's not going to keep you asleep. And that's the vicious cycle. It's alcohol to go to sleep, caffeine to wake up. <laughs> alcohol to go to sleep, caffeine to wake up. So yeah, I mean, a nightcap may seem like a fantastic idea because afterwards, whether you want to do, you want to sleep. But like Sharif said, what happens that is during the middle of the night, you're waking up number one because you don't get restful sleep with alcohol. Um, and you know, just the effects of alcohol in general to your body trying to metabolize that alcohol out in your system raises your temperature, raises your blood pressure, all those things. So,
1: and you have to go to the bathroom a couple of times, so you're interrupting
0: your sleep to so wake up and go to the bathroom. yeah. Yeah, um, I actually did an experiment this week in preparation for the podcast. So I, you know, as you guys know, yeah, (laughs) I haven't really been drinking at all this this year, really last year either. Um, I've noticed a humongous improvement in the quality of my sleep. And granted, I used an app, I didn't have EEG monitors on my head to, to properly monitor this, but I looked at the difference in my sleep. And for those of you watching this on YouTube, I'm gonna actually flash the pictures from the app. So the one difference was in the amount of sleep. So the in the non-alcohol night, I was able to sleep nine hours versus seven hours in the alcohol night. And then the biggest difference was not an REM sleep, or light sleep, but if you look at deep sleep, there is actually a difference in over one hour, and the amount of times that I woke up during the course of the night was up by about double with the alcohol night as compared to the not. So that's a case in point. Granted, it's a low sample size, but you're not gonna get into that deep phase of sleep that you need for all of the reasons that we just discussed, muscle recovery and psychological recovery. Another thing people don't know is, how long alcohol stays in your system for, right? So people think like, oh, I drank last night, I'm feeling fine tomorrow, all that alcohol is gone, right? The liver's processed everything, but alcohol will stay in your system for up to a week. So for those of you that are interested in being alcohol free to see what it does to your sleep and, and experimenting, it takes a week for that alcohol really be to be totally gone to maximize your sleep um so it takes time and then on the other end caffeine that's uh, over a day that it's going to take to get over uh, out of your system it's it's a faster half-life but to detox from caffeine it's going to going to take you longer than just one day period also alcohol has a rebound effect i don't know if you guys have ever felt this but you like wake up in the middle of the night and you just feel kind of like you know nervous or like get palpitations or tachycardic, right? Where your heart rate is high. Mm -hmm. But it's also because what Sharif was talking about is like the diuretic effect. So you're dehydrated chronically while you're drinking alcohol. What else do you guys recommend? Like uh, for sleep hygiene, we we talked about uh, blue light. We've talked about temperature. We've talked about keeping things dark and removing caffeine and then also alcohol. what about the impact of exercise on sleep should you exercise before bedtime is it going to keep you revved up um if I mean you can't
1: really exercise leave the gym come home and jump right into bed you need to wind down a little but I don't see why you shouldn't exercise at night if that's the only time you're allowed to exercise I don't see why you wouldn't exercise at night only problem is you shouldn't take any like pre-workout or stuff that has caffeine that keeps you up, just like coffee, right? Um, So if you're a person that cannot work out without a pre, then I would suggest you work out sometime during the day, early morning. Um, But if you're able to hit the gym an hour, hour and a half with no um, pre-workouts or coffee or any of that stuff, then why not? Just don't do it right before, but maybe an hour before. By the time you get home, shower, eat your protein, whatever, that gives you enough time to wind down. What do you think, Rich?
2: Um, I believe that you should try to avoid working out before going to sleep Um, because so you go to gym, you work out. What you're actually doing is you're hyping your body up even more. Um, So there should be a longer rest period between uh, your workouts and your sleep time. So even though technically yes are you fatiguing yourself? Yeah, you're fatiguing yourself. Um, but you know when you go out and you work out, and especially if you get a, a real a really good workout in, you'll notice that your mind is sharper uh, during and even after the workout. Um, your veins are popping, your body's just in go mode. So, you know, from what I know, you should try to avoid working out before uh periods of sleep.
0: Yeah, there needs to be a little bit of a detuning time period. And you've heard it from two experts, ladies and gentlemen. You need to shower before you go to sleep. If you've worked I, out. I never
2: said that. I never said that. <laughs> um,
0: Do you guys recommend any sort of uh, supplements or anything to, to help with sleep or, or have you tried anything personally?
2: I take melatonin. Um it helps me because once again, you know, I sleep during the day, so anything that I can use that that's helpful. Um and you really should monitor the amount of melatonin that you take. A lot of these uh melatonins that you can buy on the store shelves are actually a little bit too much, they're as much as 10. Um, you know, really it should be between three and five, more so three, um, if you're taking melatonin. Um, you can also try. Uh, magnesium, uh, which we discussed before on a previous podcast on on the effects of magnesium and why it would help with, you know, sleep and just the muscle relaxation part of it. Um, And there's another supplement that I've used called ZMA, which is zinc, magnesium, and vitamin B. Um, And that has also proven to put you into deeper sleep. And these are all more natural things, more so than taking something like a Z-Quil or, you know, prescription strength stuff uh, like um ambien and these other sleep aids that are generally speaking a lot more addictive to use than something like you know a supplement such as zma melatonin or so forth
1: so um i don't i don't believe in like taking drugs as far as like ambien and stuff like that i mean sometimes you have to you really have to um but I try to avoid stuff like that. I only take my vitamins as far like vitamin D or um, magnesium and stuff like that. So as far as nighttime if you're having a hard time sleeping, I probably take um like Rich said controlling the dosage melatonin since it's produced by your body naturally anyway, so you're not putting in the foreign object really. Um And I've been reading, and a lot of people are leaning more towards cannabis to to help go to sleep, too, nowadays. So anything really that doesn't have to be um, prescribed to you, although cannabis has to be at that point, but right, like ambient and stuff like that, there's so much um, side effects that would hurt you more than the one benefit you get, which is sleeping through the night, right? And you're not really sleeping because you're sedating the brain. You're not really getting the rest. You're not going through your proper sleeping stages because your brain's sedated and it's not able to perform the tasks that it's supposed to do during those cycles. So as long as you keep it natural, really um, stay away from those prescription drugs and just try to regulate your sleeping time.
2: What about you, uh, Doc Mock, being the nutrition guy and the uh, the person that, you know, science, Mr. Science Based himself, what do you feel? Do you think that there are certain supplements that you should take or certain diets that you should avoid?
0: Yeah, so um, the first thing that we, we kind of hit on was like the prescription uh, sleep aids, They will interfere with your deep and restorative sleep. So you're putting a Band-Aid, just like you are with alcohol or with anti-anxiety medicines on the underlying problem. Um, I personally take melatonin as well. Um, I think it regulates your sleep-wake cycle, especially during call weeks where you're going from waking to sleeping, waking to sleeping. And there's great evidence with shift work disorder Right, where you're going when you're working nights and then you have to transition into days that it helps you to get back on that circadian rhythm. And then you guys both hit on a really great point, which is magnesium in concert with melatonin. Right, Those two things together in good randomized controlled data have shown to improve sleep quality and duration for patients. There are natural ways to get melatonin. There are foods that are melatonin heavy and can help with sleep. And the classic one is, is, the, is poultry, right? Everybody says during Thanksgiving time that, oh, it's gonna, you're gonna fall asleep because of tryptophan, tryptophan, tryptophan. Well, they're actually kind of right. I mean, tryptophan, which is an amino acid, that will turn into serotonin and serotonin will turn into melatonin. And so there is a direct pathway there. So poultry is a really good kind of natural sleep aid. There are also a lot of the redder fruits and vegetables like bell peppers and strawberries and also uh nuts and seeds are are rich in melatonin precursors um you know like tryptophan. Um so yeah, I I recommend melatonin for as a step but I think you know you have to also look at what else is going on with people. Anxiety is really high in America and underdiagnosed and stigmatized as is depression and people that have suicidal ideations. And so instead of just giving them a pill and sending them out the door, you wanna delve into that a little bit more. And so there are meditation apps like Headspace that are helpful that I recommend to people. And also I recommend journaling before bedtime to just write down some things that were bothering you during the day, what happened, and that allows you to process those things before you even get to, to that REM sleep to, to subconsciously process those things. It kind of flushes out the brain in that sense. So a lot of flushing happening with, with these things. In terms of bodybuilding supplements, so glycine, which is an amino acid, is really great at improving uh, sleep, sleep quality. Um, do you guys recommend any other amino acid supplements other than just a protein shake, You know, from a bodybuilding restoration recovery standpoint?
1: Um, glucosamine, there's a bunch of amino acids out there. Um, as long as you get them in, obviously, better quality, less chemicals. Um, but, yeah, that's pretty much it.
2: For me, um, I recommend casein protein um, just because, you know, you don't have to worry about that late-night hunger um, that you'll get because the the casein does break down much slower. Um, and it's a good little treat before bed. So, you know, you don't have to worry about that craving in the middle of the night.
0: Yeah, we. and if you are interested in learning more about KCN, our YouTube channel has a good video on that. And we've also posted a recent article on our website, slash. Let me ask you
1: a question, Schaefer. Yeah. Do you think people should take the melatonin on a regular basis, like every night, or just when they're having a hard time sleeping, or how does that work? Because from my understanding is if you feed the body more melatonin eventually at some point your body will stop producing it because you're giving it to it you know um in other ways so your body so you don't overload on the melatonin then your body stops producing the melatonin knowing that it's going to get it in at the end of the night through a pill form um talk to me about that
0: yeah so um one of the points that uh, Aaron Graham had mentioned was the dosing, so I always recommend that if people are gonna experiment with it to start on a lower dose, so three milligrams is the lowest possible dose. Like we said, you know, a lot of the prescriptions and also the non-prescription melatonins that you can get over the counter are starting at 10 milligrams. Um, And then people will try it, they'll fall asleep through their alarm in the morning and then they'll never go back to it. But you wanna start low and start slow and even start on the weekends, right? Where you don't have to necessarily get up for an alarm. In terms of suppressing your natural physiology, they have studied that as well. They did uh, levels of circulating melatonin and um, also the responses through MRI dynamic imaging to look at the response of, of giving melatonin on a regular basis and then withdrawing it, and there's there's not actually a compensatory mechanism. Your body will continue to adapt. That part of the brain is very plastic, so it'll move and shake. Um, but yeah, I recommend in generally if you don't need to take any supplements or pills, to try everything naturally, right? Um, but I think for people like you know Aaron Graham, that's switching from days to nights all the time. It's it's a really good way to just make sure he gets that quality of sleep. I'd rather have people get the quality sleep to see the benefits with their health, nutrition, and fitness um, than not. But yes, I would prefer if people didn't take a pill every day in any form. Okay, That's a universal Good. message. So um, why don't we wrap things up, what, or unless there's any parting points that you guys wanted to, to uh, give to our listeners.
1: Yeah, so um, the REM stage, that's when you're basically paralyzed right the only muscle that works is are your, are your eye muscles and your brain everything else is paralyzed so you don't act out your dreams and stuff so what about those people that sleepwalk or, or you know get up and punch people while they're sleeping yeah what's going on over there they can't like paralyze the rest of their the their brain is not able to send those messages to basically paralyze the, the rest of the muscles
0: yeah so so this is actually a a common group of disorders called parasomnias that includes insomnia right where you can't stay asleep um that would also i would even extend it to you know sleepwalking um night terrors right where people are screaming in the middle of the night and um and then even sleep apnea it's not technically a parasomnia but all of these things show up during stage three of sleep, so they don't get to stage to the REM cycles of sleep. So they'll stay in stage three sleep longer, where your body still can react and still can move and shake, um, but they're they're doing all these actions um, unconsciously. And there's usually some sort of a psychological rather than an organic reason for those conditions.
1: So they never enter the REM the REM stage.
0: Yeah, or they they will, but after they exit that, that portion of uh, their parasomnia, right? Because by definition, if you're in REM, everything is is suppressed. So you shouldn't, shouldn't be able to move your arms and legs. There's right. also something called um, nighttime paralysis. It's more common in people from Southeast Asia. And they will wake up fully awake, but their body still has mm-hmm. enacted their musculoskeletal system. So they wake up and they can, they can look with their eyes, but they can't respond or move. And really? it's a really scary condition. And, and again, a lot of these people have some sort of um, subconscious trauma that they've experienced. As, a, as a, a, like a true story of somebody that I grew up with, um, we, we had a woman that would come over and help take care of my little sisters when they were younger, and she would bring her daughter, who is from Iran. And she had undergone a, um, a terrorist attack when she was over there, and had a lot of, you know, PTSD as a result. So she would have night terrors when she would take her nap during the middle of the day. Um, but she wasn't aware of it, and her mother wasn't wasn't aware that, you know, it, it could be a problem or that there's a fix for it. So. So that you can't fix that medically, right? You said that psychologically, you got to work on the psyche part yeah i think that you can do self-care things like what we talked about to to maximize your chances of sleep hygiene but you know seeking uh, a psychological professional's help in those circ- certain stans- circumstances are really really important for success any other uh parting points regarding sleep
2: guys basically uh stay away from alcohol before sleep um, stay away from spicy foods as well. Um, you know, it's just listen, put your tablets down, put your phones away. You know, get your room nice and cold, be comfortable. Sleep is important. We all need it. Caffeine. Yeah, it it, it might help us uh, mentally to think that we're, we aren't as tired as we are. But, you know, listen, sleep is important. Get it. You need it.
1: Yeah, definitely. Get your naps in. You know, a lot of people try to skip out on um, their sleep or shorten their sleep period just so they can perform more, right? Like you're hungry, you want to work more, you want to be successful, you need to use a lot of that 24 hour period towards your work as opposed to sleeping. But if you really think about it, if you're not getting enough sleep, then those 20 hours that you're working, how well are you really performing? Cause you're tired, you're sluggish, you forget stuff. But if you take an extra 90 minutes to nap or something, yeah, you lose the 90 minutes, but you're performing so much better and you can get more done, more efficient.
0: That's what I think. Yeah, so, so make sleep a priority. It's central to every possible fitness, health, nutrition goal that you're trying to reach. Um, Get enough, get proper cycles, get quality cycles. Eliminate the alcohol, caffeine from your life if you wanna try, try some supplements, tread lightly. Um, Keep the room dark and cold and get rid of the devices for the love of God. (laughs) So with with that said, let's transition into our first piece of of listener mail. This comes from Red. Um, He says, hi, can you give me tips on eating and working out with GERD that's gastroesophageal reflux disease do you suggest ec- uh, ab exercises i thought it would negatively impact it question mark so um as the fitness guys in the room do you do you personally suffer from reflux ever have you suffered from it do you have clients that that suffer from it and do you tailor your strategies for fitness around that condition i mean if you have conditions, we can always
1: tailor um, your fitness needs and exercises around that. Um, I don't know, and and you can correct me on that, Schaefer, because you're the doctor. But I feel like that's more induced due to a um, nutrition to due to your nutrition plan. That's why you get those reflexes. Um, I don't know if,
0: if it's. It's not like you're born like that, are you? Uh, so certain people are born with reflux. There are children that, that have uh, reflux when they're babies. Um, that's usually nutrition related. Um, it has to do with the allergy to the formula or the or lactose, the milk that mom is producing. And you're right, yeah, like nutrition is definitely a common denominator with reflux, what you're eating. Um, so if you're able to tweak your
1: nutrition and fix that, you should be able, at some point, to get rid of that condition, correct?
0: hmm but one of the biggest uh, components to reflux disease is obesity, right? Yes, so that's, that's a multifactorial that's condition. Yeah, so yeah. that that's a fitness and a nutrition-related strategy. Are you, yes, Graham, have you ever had reflux, or do you ever?
2: I every- do, uh, I actually do have a little bit of reflux. Um, mostly it's because of nutritional things. Um, but, um, definitely in the fitness realm, there's certain things that you do that increase reflux. So another thing you mentioned was weight. So, you know, if you're overweight and you're trying to squeeze into tighter clothing, you're a candidate for reflux. So basically what you're doing is you're putting pressure on the abdomen and any pressure that you put on the abdomen, guess what's going to happen? Stuff is going to come up. Um, so I guess that's where the question about ab workouts came in. So yeah, if you're, so say you, you know, you're going to the gym and you eat something right before you go, um, and you're gonna do an ab workout, you're gonna put pressure on your abdomen, correct? You know, you're gonna be doing crunches, whatever you may be doing. Yeah, so that pressure is going to increase your chance of reflux in that sense. Um, So what I would tell people is stay away from uh, acidic foods before going to the gym. and that will, you know, cut down on that. Um, try to wear loose-fitting, comfortable clothes while, while you're at the gym as well. Um, especially a lot of the women out there nowadays, you know, they're wearing these binders, thinking that it's going to, you know, lessen their the their waist. And then what that does is actually, once again, you're putting more pressure upon your abdomen, and that's going to cause reflux. So, in the sense of the gym, yes. Um, Losing weight is going to be very important in reducing reflux, but at the same time, if you're going in the gym and you're working out hard, you're doing anything to do ab related, you are going to put pressure on that. So my, my thing would be try to stay away from acidic foods before going into the gym.
0: Yeah, and uh, so weight loss is probably the number one intervention that you can do to improve uh, reflux-related symptoms based upon a bajillion scientific studies that have been done and meta-analyses. Separating your last meal from bedtime by at least three to four hours, also really high yield. So for those of us that work a ton and come home and eat and then fall right asleep, it's probably not good for your reflux symptoms. Reflux is tied to stress right, psychological stress. So you need to work on the psychological stress, right? The same neurohormones that make us fire up here, make us anxious, make us depressed, will move and shake your guts down here. It's the same thing, serotonin, norepinephrine, dopamine. Um, In terms of specifically uh, workouts related to reflux disease, I actually do recommend core strengthening, um, both based upon experience with patients, scientific data, and, and myself. I had terrible reflux when I was like a resident and and fell probably because I wasn't sleeping right. I was stressed, I wasn't eating well. Um, And you can't not eat well and do an exercise and improve your reflux. Again, it's all interconnected. But strengthening your core, your anti-reflux valve or the valve that keeps stuff in your stomach from coming up into your esophagus is tied to your diaphragm and your core muscles. So if you strengthen your diaphragm and your core muscles, that will strengthen the barrier for which that acid can come up into your esophagus, and it will be less likely to do so, right? And we talked about intra-abdominal pressure, right, that pushing on your belly, that the more intra-abdominal pressure you have, yes, you'll have more of a propensity, but if you're able to counter-regulate it Mm -hmm. with strengthening your core, you can put that pressure down and expel it and, and balance everything inside. Um, you mentioned acidic foods. What are some acidic foods?
2: Red sauce, tomato sauce, um, pineapples are really acidic as well. Um, Mm -hmm. coffee, if you drink a lot of coffee, you know, you're, you're at risk for dirt as well with that. Um, uh, I mean, there's really a lot. There's a, and don't get me wrong. Acidic foods are, are very good for you, especially like urinary health and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, everything in moderation. And if you notice, even like citrus, um, ascorbic acid, which is vitamin C, can can lead to GERD because they are very, very acidic. So, yes, especially in this COVID day and age, everybody's like vitamin C, vitamin C, vitamin C. Yeah, it's great, but too much vitamin C and you'll you'll feel the burn.
0: Yeah, I always, when I'm counseling patients, tell them to think about Mexican food. So Mexican food has tomato, and citrus, which makes citric acid, which is an acid. Um, but then you also have a, a higher fat content on average. So fatty foods will sit in your stomach longer, your body has to make more acid to break those fatty foods down. And so they're more apt to just sit in your stomach longer when you lie flat and you also make more acid as a result. A few that people don't think about, and, and this is in counseling thousands and thousands of people over years, are things that directly open up that anti-reflux barrier so caffeine works that way in addition to being acidic it just opens the barrier up so does chocolate and peppermint and alcohol Mm -hmm. also works in a similar fashion so it just kind of opens that way up so that nighttime glass of wine is interfering with your sleep and it's making your reflux worse so i have another listener mail here um this is from taylor this is more for for you guys as the fitness people and we also have a physique competitor in the room um what are the top three things you would recommend to shred for a physique competition all right graham take it away
2: shred for a physique competition first of all why are you doing the physique competition (laughs) um so physique is is a lot of fun in the workout section of it um, and I really enjoyed my journey uh, that I took into it. Um, and getting shredded, man, it's it's a great feeling to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and say, "Wow, look at look at what I've done." Uh, but the most important things are definitely sleep. You need to get rest. I don't care how much you work out. I don't care, you know, how good your diet is. If you're not getting the sleep you need, you're going to build up cortisol, which we discussed earlier. And what that does is actually it helps you, it makes you hold water weight. Um, it makes you also um, hold fat. So you need to get your rest, number one. Number two, um, I would say definitely nutrition. So you have to train yourself um, to eat properly constantly and eat you know, uh, at intervals. So nutrition is number two. Um, number three is actually hydration. So a lot of people think, oh, I need to get shredded. So I'm going to stop drinking water because I don't want to hold water. That is actually absolutely wrong. You actually need to hydrate yourself very well. And what you do is, um, prior to your competition, what you want to do is you want to wean the water down slowly. So as you're training, um, I'm not sure if this person is using a 12-week training program, which is what most people use, 16 to 12 weeks. Um, Some people use eight to six weeks, depending on where you are in your journey. So while you're working out, you need to be able to put down a substantial amount of water on a regular basis. So I'm talking about gallons a gallon and a half is what you're going to do. Then prior to uh, the week of... You know your competition. You actually want to see if you can comfortably, comfortably, get up to as much mm-hmm. as two gallons. You don't. You really don't want to push yourself any more than that. And this is why, even though I've competed, I am kind of against it now. Um, to me, it's more important to, you know, get your body into a state of, you know, happiness. And competing is not a hap- is not happiness um, because you're doing stuff like you're drinking more water than you should. Um, you're doing things to your body that, yeah, it's, it's great. It's a great way to look, but it's not, and all in all, it's not good for your body. That being said, on that last week, you want to get up to about two gallons on that Monday. So say your competition is on a Saturday, you want to get up to two gallons and you want to slowly wean down to about, you know, I would say a quarter gallon um, the day before your competition. I, I say this because you don't want to be on stage cramping, and you don't want to be dehydrated, passing out on stage. So to think that you need to, you know, not drink any water—that's big problem. This big misconception. So hydration, sleep, and nutrition are the three things that I did to help me get to that shredded point.
0: You have any additions, Sharif Ultrapit?
1: I uh, man, I couldn't agree with him more. Um... It's really nutrition, right? it's nutrition. I've never competed, so he's got more experience on me in that stage, Um, but I agree with him. It's, I mean, nutrition is a very important part of everything, of your sleep, of your diet, of your physique, of your performance. And just like we talked about, you need to sleep to recover and rebuild and be ready to go again, um, especially as a competitor,
2: and um, obviously, a lot of calories a lot of good calories,
1: right? For competitors to build up muscle and um the last week is the dehydration week. That's that's when it sucks really. But you have to do it smart, like Rich said, um, where you don't totally dehydrate yourself and go into medical complications. Um, so just watch your water intake. Um that's pretty much it. And just, just the water, the sleep, and the nutrition. That's everything you need to control to have a healthy lifestyle, healthy body, healthy brain. It's really what it comes down to, man. Nutrition, really. It's what you are, what you eat. You are what you eat. So remember that and make the right
0: decisions so you can get where you want. Yeah, so I think RN Graham's got to go back to bed, folks, but um, this concludes podcast number three. If you like what we're talking about, leave us some comments and hit the subscribe button. If you want to learn more, head on over to Um, maximalbeing.com. We offer a uh, fitness, nutrition, gut health plans by our expert team. Um, You can feel free to write us an email if you have any questions for the podcast or the show on YouTube at team at maximalbeing.com. Um, and you can also leave us a, a voicemail on SpeakPipe. Sharif UltraFit, where can we find you?
1: Yes, you can find me on Instagram, Sharif UltraFit, or you'll also find me on the Maximal Being website, part of the team now. Um,
0: also on Facebook, Sharif abdul Latif Aaron Graham, you, you looking forward to getting a, a day of rest? Just one. Right. And remember, people, uh, shower after workouts okay we'll talk to you next time see you guys
2: Conference will now be recorded.
1: Next week, it's neat.